All right, I don't know if any of you are on Twitter. It's probably the best place in the world if you want to learn about things or make funny comments or insult people. A lot of different ways of using Twitter. Um, there's a great tweet out there going around right now uh, that says this. I don't know if you'll be able to see this, so I'll just read it. Uh, Jesus, the greatest among you must be servants. Guy, that's right, servant leader. <laughs> Jesus, I, I said servant. Guy, yep, I heard you, servant leader. <laughs> Jesus, guy, Jesus, <laughs> guy. Okay, this conference isn't going to plan itself. <laughs> it's just so painful. <laughs> it's just so painful to see this because it's just, this interaction seems to sum up the church leadership of the last hundred years. <laughs> Being called to be servants, and we say, yes, servant leaders. Uh, we, we, we can't be asked to do menial tasks since that doesn't fit our paradigm of growth. That I'm at the top of the ladder now, wherever the ladder is for you, and I have people that do that kind of stuff for me. I have, I have minions, I have servants. And so we completely disregard Jesus' command to, to serve and to, to say, let's just call it servant leadership. And we've just completely disregarded the servant part. And so the, the emphasis is now that on leadership, not on service. And so for today, uh, I, want, I think Jesus knew that this was be a, would be a problem for us. Because not only did Jesus tell us to serve one another, he showed us. He embodied it. His life was service. And so today, we are going to be looking at the secret power of humility. That's the title of the sermon, The Secret Power of Humility. And the way we're going to look at that is in these ways. We're going to look at disarming humility, disinfecting humility, and demanding humility. That's right. Disarming, disinfecting, and demanding. And so, disarm. We, when we begin our passage here today, Jesus has left the crowds, and he is now going into a time for intimate conversations with his disciples. That's where we're going for, for the next while now. Um, this is the night before the Last Supper. Um, and in verse 1, Jesus says this to his disciples. You can hear the intimacy. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, love is used twice in one verse. That having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And it's just beautiful. You can hear the heart of Jesus in this, in this one verse here. Because he loves them, and love has to act on it. Because love is is an action. It is action. It's not just an emotional feeling. Uh, it's not just something you say. It is an action. If I, I tell my wife, I love you all the time, but I don't do the dishes, do I love her? Not in my house, <laughs> because that, that is one of my duties. That is one of my roles amongst the trash and other you know, things uh, and picking up around the house. Like, and so for us, if I just said, I love you all the time, and I left behind a, a disastrous kitchen, would she feel loved? Probably not. And so, one, I would be a terrible human being uh, in our house, not for everyone. Uh, you might have different roles. But two, I wouldn't be actually loving her because that's what we've committed to. This is how I want to love you is with actions, not just with words. I want to I make you see that what I'm doing for you it cares for you in such a way that I'm, you don't have to do it yourself. 
And so this is, love has to have an action to reach its fullest extent. It can't just be words. It can't just be emotions. It has to be action. And so how does Jesus act? Verses 3 through 5 give us so much. Verses 3 through 5, let me just read this real quick. I know we just read it, but Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And so three huge things happen in each verse there. In verse 3, Jesus has everything under his power. In verse, in verse 4, um, he puts a towel around his waist, which may not seem important yet. But, and then verse 5, he kneels to wash his disciples' feet. Three huge things that happen in, in the span of this, this verse here, these verses. And I don't think we get how absurd what we're about to see happen is. Okay, so clothing reveals your vocation, right? So if you wore scrubs, you're probably in the medical field, yes? Um, if you're a mechanic, you probably wear overalls or you have that cool shirt with the patch. Um, I know, I always went to like Goodwill to get a pair for myself in high school. I know, I'm a cool dresser. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> but what Jesus does, he puts, on a, he puts on, 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 on a towel around his waist, which in that day communicated something. To put a towel around your waist was to communicate that this, this is the dress of a slave. To kneel down, this is the dress of a slave, of a servant. And so the God of the universe, the God who has legions of angels who kneel down at him and who he could command, kneel, is now kneeling for his disciples. The God who, who creates galaxies far, far away has decided to come to our earth, put, take on flesh, and kneel down for these disciples. And he takes on this, this uniform that is looked down upon by Jews and Gentiles alike. Then he washes their feet. And to see how absurd that was in that day, Jews wouldn't wash other Jews' feet. Like, it was too beneath them. In fact, you couldn't make your servant wash your feet. It was too demeaning. It was inhumane to make your servant who could do everything else, but they could not wash your feet because it was just so gross. The only servants who could do that were the Gentiles, and we won't get into that right now. It was too demeaning. It was too inhumane. So, what, why is that to be the case? Think about it. In our day today, we think, okay, our feet are pretty nasty in general, but we got socks and shoes. In that day, they're all walking around like they live in the state of Florida. They got sandals all the time. And you're just like, okay, but it's not the, it's not the, the era, or it's not the, the geography of Florida. Think of where they're at. They're in this dusty environment. Dirt's everywhere. It's getting caked up on their toes. Their toenails are starting to look like, like latte art. You know, it's just like... Oh, what is happening here? <laughs> and Jesus gets down on his knees and he starts washing these dirty, dusty toes. Like it's, it's, it's beneath him, right? Who would want to touch that? And what does our God do? He takes a towel and gets on his knees and he washes their feet. And I'll just say that is such a disarming thing to see in life. When people you, you, you respect, people who are high up, actually come down and show their humility. It's disarming. You don't expect it. 
Like if you imagine yourself ever being at a restaurant and let's say the restaurant got your order wrong, they, they came late with it, and you're just like, I can't wait to get out of here. You're frustrated. Now what we expect is the restaurant owner to come out or someone to come out, a waiter, and say, hey, you should have ordered the meal I told you. I told you this one was going to take forever or whatever it may be. And you're like, sorry, find another restaurant. You expect someone to give you some pushback to defend themselves. What you don't expect is for the owner to come out and to say, I am so sorry for what happened. We will comp your meal. We, what can we get you to make it right? Hey, let's get, let's get them a, you know, a, a plate of rolls. Let's make sure, let's make it right right now. Everything is free. We'll give you also a ticket when you come back. Like you're, you're, you're disarmed by when you see that because you don't expect people of power to give up their power. What we expect is people in power to retain their power and to fight to keep their power. But when they do show us humility, it disarms us. We're we're like, I don't know what to do with that. It changes your whole experience. Before you're thinking, I will never go back to this restaurant. And now you're like, I might tell a friend about that. That was beautiful. And so what we are seeing here is is not just a top-down approach. We're seeing a top-come-down approach. Right? We, always, we, we, we think everyone's going to work in a top-down way, but now we're seeing the top actually come down. Uh, this is like what the, the late, great theologian, Dr. Reverend and Pastor uh, Malcolm Foley <laughs> said way back uh, on Monday <laughs> in our planning meeting, the God of the universe took on flesh, which is a serious devotion. <laughs> but it's true. Jesus steps out of eternity and puts flesh on and makes himself vulnerable, right? Makes himself vulnerable. I mean, what humility? And you've probably heard this before, that, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less or not as much. And that's crucial. Jesus didn't say, man, I'm terrible, <laughs> He didn't say, oh, I drew the short straw. I've got to go to to humanity. Like, that's not what he's doing. He's he's not saying, I guess I'll do this. He's saying, I have all authority in all heaven and earth, in all of creation, and I want to go. I, I want to go and serve these people. And so what we want to see here is that humility is not a position. It's a direction. It's not thinking you are low, It's the direction of your eyes from here on yourself to here towards someone else. Humility is a direction outward towards someone else. And so Jesus has the title, but now he picks up the towel, right? He now goes to serve. And so Jesus has something to say about our view of power. He disarms these weapons of domineering, and he makes us servants, The master becomes a slave to his disciples. And in that moment, all proper order has now just been overturned. (laughs) Chaos should ensue. Like, where's the hierarchy here? Where's the org chart? How can the master be doing something way down here? He, He is threatening to destabilize all that we know about this. And so we see disarming humility. But now let's look at disinfecting humility. I know. The alliteration had to work. <laughs> the one time I've had someone wash my feet was in college. Um, I was a part of a Christian ministry, and in that ministry, at the end of the year, they had the seniors wash the freshmen's feet. 
And um, can I just say, I hated that. <laughs> it, it made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was just, I mean, for many reasons. I think one, like feet washing is just weird. Like it's just weird. It's weirdly intimate. You're like, stop. <laughs> but three, I'm just like, this is really important. I'm highly ticklish. <laughs> it's so like, while everyone else around me is like, oh, you would do that for me? You serve me? I'm just like, like going, please, just get it over with. Like, ah, ah, I hate it. <laughs> I hated it so much. <laughs> um, so what does Jesus have to say to people like me? Uh, well, verse 8. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, like I was feeling at that moment. And Jesus answers, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. <laughs> Jesus is not holding back in this moment. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. This is as serious as when Jesus tells Peter that I'm going to be killed and I'm going to raise on the third day. And Peter says, never, Lord. And Peter, uh, Jesus has that great moment in Matthew 16, 23. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Whew. Poor Peter. <laughs> Being called Satan by Jesus. This is one of those things that he'll always have for the rest of his eternity. Uh, that he got to be called Satan. Like, <laughs> you can't wash my feet. I'm ticklish. Or I, maybe he was thinking that. Maybe he was thinking, this isn't the way things work. Like, I should be washing your feet. But what Jesus does is he reveals that he's doing more than scraping the bunions off of Peter's feet. It, it would sound like fake humility. If Jesus said, no, Peter, I will wash your feet. That is, I will serve you the way I want to serve you. Has anyone done that to you? Like, no, you will like this. Let me show you how humble I am. This is my humility. That would be weird if Jesus said that. And so Jesus is doing more than just washing his feet. The reason it's so important for Jesus to wash his feet is because that, that washing is a symbol pointing to something greater. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless the Lamb of God takes away your sin and washes you, you can have no part with Jesus. And so a literal washing is not necessary to be a Christian. The words of washing or disinfecting convey that we are all sick with sin. We have this sickness that needs to be disinfected, to be, needs to be washed. And so are we willing to let Jesus take care of our sin? Are we willing to let Jesus save us from us? To save us from ourselves? And so in typical Peter fashion, he responds to this in verse 9, then Simon Peter, then, uh, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Uh, Peter doesn't do anything halfway, right? Just out here cutting people's ears off. He's, he's a wild dude. But it's like, you can't touch my feet. Could you get my back as well? Like, he's, oh, he's like the comic relief in these passages. But Peter finally accepts that Jesus needs to wash him spiritually, but then he adds to what Jesus should do. Like, Peter is reluctant to do what Jesus wants. Peter wants to dictate the terms in which Jesus serves him. Jesus is telling them, without this radical U-turn towards me, where the God of the universe is going to kneel down and wash your feet, you can't be my disciple. And Peter says, heck, you want a 180-degree U-turn? 
Let's make it 360. You can't improve on a U-turn. It gets worse. Leslie Newbegin says it this way. It is enough to have made the U-turn, to have accepted the subversion. Nothing can be added to what Jesus has done on the cross, and nothing can be added to baptism. He who has received the washing offered by the Lord is holy, clean. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are holy, clean? Do you believe that you are washed? Do you believe that you are fully loved? Jesus didn't either. I know that doubt is creeping in the back of our minds always. That, that worry about our status before the Lord, and we, like Peter, want to add to Jesus' washing of us to feel better about ourselves. And so if I preach a bad sermon, I might say, well, I had a hard week, and I washed myself to feel better. If I feel like a, like a bad dad, I wash myself and say, well, if my kids were just better behaved... If I feel like a bad friend, I wash myself and say, well, if my friends would just tell me what they needed, then I would serve them. And I come with all these reasons to wash myself, to, to make myself feel better about myself, because I want to wash away the stains. But what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. And if that's not true, and I need to wash myself, then we've got to stop singing those songs. We need to either stop singing those songs or start changing the lyrics to Jesus paid some, and we owe a little more. No, Jesus paid it all. Like, he washes the disciples' feet, he pays it all, and he pays it with his life. And so what we need to see is that humility disarms, it disinfects, but it also demands. Demanding humility. Verse 10. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. In this moment, it's clearly referring to Judas. And so some of you guys may know Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, who, who sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. And you might be asking yourself, how could Judas do this? How? Like, how could Judas not just sell him out, but how could he have lived with him for those three years? Just betraying him all the time. It, we, we learned that he was stealing from the money pot throughout this whole time. Jesus, Judas was addicted to his greed. And yet, in that, in, those time, in that span, when he's serving with Jesus, what we know of, Ju of Judas is that because of him, lives were changed. Judas had the power to cast out demons. He had intimate knowledge and with, with Jesus himself that we don't have. But how could Judas do that? Because he didn't, even though he did all of those things, he didn't have the fruit of the Spirit with him. Like, he didn't have love and joy and peace and patience. Like, those are critical. That's your character. That's who you are when no one's looking. 
And this is why your character is far more important than your competency. Because who you are is far more important than what you do. And yet what you do reveals who you are. Both are true. Who you are is far more important than what you do, but who, what you do does reveal who you are. What Judas did revealed who he actually was. Judas did do a lot of things, but for what reason? What we need to see is that the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, they all grow and they grow together. Not everyone, not everyone, not everyone grows all blooming full. <laughs> Your tree doesn't bloom full right away. It takes time, but they do grow and it grows together. And so what we need to see here is if we find someone who looks peaceful, but they're not kind, they're not really peaceful. If we find someone who looks loving, but they're not patient, they're not loving. They're just grumbling underneath their breath. If we see someone who's very gentle and sweet, but has a hard time having these hard conversations with people, that gentleness and that sweetness isn't out of love, it's out of cowardice. You see, Judas could be with Jesus, but he could never truly be with Jesus. He could be in his presence, but he was never with him. He could put on the show of love, but it was really greed the whole time. There wasn't kindness. There wasn't goodness. There was clearly not self-control. He did things for Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. Does that sound like you? Do we struggle with doing things for Jesus, but not actually spending time with Jesus? Both are important, (laughs) clearly. But would people say you're more patient? Would they say these things, these fruits represent you, that you're quick to repent? Would they say that you're changing, that you're growing? You're not perfect, but are you changing and growing? That's what's critical. And yet, because Jesus washed even Judas' feet, think about that, he washed Judas' feet, and he knew that he was going to betray him, and he still washed his feet. You know someone who's betrayed you, would you wash their feet? You can think of someone right now. Probably many of you think of people who betrayed you. How hard would it be even to look them in the eyes, let alone to wash their feet? Verse 14 says, The demands, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus couldn't make it any clearer. If God washes feet, then there is nothing I can't say I won't do. If God washes feet, then there's nothing I can't say that I won't do. Like, since I loved you, go and love one another. How? Wash feet. Make this your bumper sticker. Love is washing feet. That's it. How do you love? Love is washing feet. Go, go wash feet. Like, what's the modern day version of this? Because we're not, we don't, we're not commanded to actually do that exact act. What's the modern day version of this? Think about what is something so beneath you that you think, me and my position or my job or my status, I would never do. It's, it's, it's too beneath me. And now go do that for someone. If you can't think of what that is, let me give you something. Pick a family in the church today at the, after the picnic and offer to go clean their toilets. 
So beneath you, I would never do that. Think of how gross their feet were. I would never do that. Just go clean their toilets. (laughs) This is what Jesus is talking about. And the beauty is that you don't have to be wooed into loving people like this. You can just get on your hands and knees today and start loving because love isn't romance that you need to be attracted and and feel this pull towards. Like, that's not love. Like, you just can go and start cleaning bathrooms. You can just start doing it. I, I just serve. We think we love others, but really, we're just hungry. You know, the, the, the language of hunger is, fill me, I'm hungry, S- satisfy me. That's not love. Usually we think of love that way, fill me, satisfy me. That's hunger. Love is, how do I fill you? How do I satisfy you? It's, it is giving. <laughs> oh. there, is the, there is a fantastic children's book that I used to read to my boys all the time called The Giving Tree. Highly recommend it for you parents out there. It's about a boy who loves his tree, and the tree loves the boy. And, and, and it's about as the, as the boy grows old, the tree grows old with it. Um, but in the beginning, the boy loves the tree, and he gathers her leaves, and, and he climbs her trunk, and he swings from her branches. Uh, he makes the crowns, uh, and he's eating her apples. They play hide-and-seek, you know, how they can uh, as much. Um, but the boy loved the tree, and the tree loved the boy. But over time, the boy grew old and said, I'm too old to climb and play. I want some money. Can you give me some money? The tree said, no, um, but you can take my apples to sell, um, and then you can be happy. And so he did. He went away. Years later, he comes back to the tree, and the tree shakes with excitement to see the boy and says, come, boy, come, climb on my trunk and swing from my branches. And, but the boy, who's now a man, says, I'm too busy for that. I want a house. Can you give me a house? And the tree says, I have no house, but you can take my branches to build you one. And so he did. And the boy stayed away for a long time. And then he came back and asked, I want a boat. Can you give me a boat? And the tree says, I have no boat. And you can almost feel the tree's sadness as you read this book. But cut down my trunk, and then you'll be happy. And the boy did. And the tree was happy, but not really. And after a long time, the boy came back again, And the tree says, I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. This story gets me every single time. (laughs) 
Because the boy just takes advantage of this tree. Like he exploits her, he takes her branches, he takes her leaves, he even takes her trunk. I mean, the boy mutilates the tree. And yet she still gives. And she's happy to give. And if I'm honest, this is eerily similar to my relationship with Jesus. And I take, and I take, and I take, and I exploit. I don't think how this affects my Lord and Savior. And my Lord and Savior is so happy to serve us. We read this passage today in John and think, isn't it wild that Jesus would wash Judas' feet? And it is wild that he, that he would wash Judas' feet, who takes everything from Jesus. But Jesus, in his humility, keeps on giving. But what I want us to see is that until we can say, isn't it wild, not that he washes Judas' feet, but isn't it wild that he would wash my feet? Until we can say that, we're missing out on the power of this passage. That Jesus delights to serve you, even me, so much that he loves you so deeply that he would give and give and give and give. Like the love and humility of Jesus is the secret superpower that disarms, disinfects, and demands. It, it, it disarms the powers and the principalities of this world, upending all our views of about who should serve and how it should go. It disinfects and washes us clean from, from all the stains of sin. And then with love so amazing, so divine, it demands my life, my all. If God can stoop, I can too. If the God of the universe would wash me, then nothing is beneath me. Our service has a much greater reward than this tree serving this selfish boy. When we serve the least of these, Jesus says that we are serving he himself because he has identified himself so closely with the oppressed, with the overlooked, and with the overloaded. Jesus identifies them so closely with himself that when we serve the least of these, we are serving him. And so today, beloved, let's wash some feet because Jesus has washed ours. Let me pray.